And if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, please. And chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's just read one verse and we'll explain a little bit when time goes on. I might need to do this in two pieces, two parts. And I just want to call it the unspeakable. The unspeakable. Second Corinthians 12 and 4 speaks of Paul, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. He heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Go to chapter 9, please. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Let your eye run down to the very last verse, verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And then if you'll go to First Peter, please. First Peter, chapter 1. First Peter and... Chapter 1, please. And just one verse again. We could read much of it, but just one verse for time's sake. Verse 8. Peter, speaking of those who are in faith in Christ, says, Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're going to speak tonight with the Lord's help and his grace on the unspeakable. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and we adore you. We exalt you. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your spirit. And we thank you for everyone you've brought out tonight. That none of us are here by accident but here in divine providence. So, Father, speak to our hearts and bless those who can't be with us, some of them maybe hospital or at home, looking after loved ones and others away this bank holiday weekend. Refresh them, we pray. And all who may listen or hear this message, we pray that you would not only teach us, but you'd refresh us. That you'd also, Lord, build us up and challenge us. And Father, may we seek hard after thee. May we seek hard after thy presence. To love the Lord with all our hearts. There's none like you. And we tell you we love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first verse was... In 2 Corinthians 4 and 12, where it speaks of unspeakable words. Unspeakable words. Secondly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, we have an unspeakable gift. An unspeakable gift. And thirdly, uh, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 8, we have unspeakable joy. So that's unspeakable words, unspeakable gift, unspeakable joy. The word unspeakable in the plain, simple New English Dictionary puts it like this. Simply, unspeakable is beyond words. 
beyond words or something indescribable. Beyond words or indescribable. When we're reading the scriptures about Almighty God and sending His Son to be our Savior and all that Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary and the shedding of His blood, it seems so fickle and so futile to believe in a simple lamb, that is the Lamb of God, uh, to release us from our sins and to pay our debt. How do we ever fathom uh, as human beings with, with a finite mind how do we ever, with the finite human mind, ever fathom or comprehend the infinite mind of Almighty God? How would we ever understand or comprehend the, the infinite being of His person? The infinite God, in, in other words, in whom He is. Listen to the words of Job in Job chapter 9 and verse 10, speaking of Him. Which doeth great things, past finding out. Yea, and wonders without number. In other words, Job is seeing him and he's saying, you know, our Lord in the book of Job, it says he does things that are past our finding out, things we can never comprehend and understand. And yea, he does wonders without number. We're even told by the apostle John that the Lord Jesus did so many miracles that even if they were all written the world could not contain the books that they would be written in. The very miracles that we read in the Gospels are only just a part of the blessing that he brought in his earthly ministry. But yet he done so much more. And even with that which we have, we still not cannot fully comprehend the blessing of our Lord and whom he is. Romans 11 and verse 33. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Notice that. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Paul is coming to know this. A man who was schooled under Gamaliel, one of the chief rabbi teachers. And how he's saying, even the teaching I've had, I've found there's always so much more in him he is way past my searching and my finding out. Listen to what Almighty God himself says. Listen to what your heavenly Father says in Isaiah 55 and verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And sometimes whenever we get ourselves into a model, and into a stressful situation and an impossible situation. We look with our 2020 vision and we see with it that there seems to be an impossibility to all that's surrounding us. Yet the Lord says, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways and your thoughts than mine. In fact, he gives us a little bit of a picture of how high they are. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth. Notice the plural, the heavens. There's the first heaven that we fly in our, 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 our sky where we go on our holidays on a plane. There's a second heaven, which is outer space, which we're trying to know. There's a third heaven, the abode of God and his angels. And he says, as high as it is and as unattainable as you are to it, he says, so my thoughts and ways are higher than yours. In other words, I can do exceeding abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. 
In other words, when we think it's impossible with God, all things are possible. When you're looking at a difficult situation, it may be difficult for you, and it may be difficult for me, but it's never difficult for God. The Lord even asks us, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for God? Brother, sister, we answer many a time, Lord, there's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing too difficult for you. There's nothing you cannot do. There's nothing you cannot cope with or change. And yet when it comes to our own door, what do we say? We believe you, but... Oh, look at what it looks like and see how hard and difficult it seems to be coming upon us. But yet the Lord says, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not mine. I'm way above you. I'm far greater. And that which is a mountain before you is as a grain of of sand before Almighty God. There's nothing, absolutely nothing too hard for him. There's nothing too difficult for the Lord. Almighty God, our Father, our Yahweh, Jehovah as he's called, he is as to his being, he is eternal. To whom he is and to his existence, he is eternal from of old to everlasting, or in other words, he is from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, he was before anything else was. Did you get that? Before your problems were, he was. Before this world and this earth, chaos and problems were, and nation against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and famines and pestilences, uh, and diverse places, and earthquakes, and tsunamis, and floods. Before all of that, he was. When there was nothing, he existed. Goes beyond our mindset, and goes beyond our finding out. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And he is to his nature. He is to his nature to his attributes so much more than you and I could ever think or imagine. What is an attribute? Simply means that which is attributed to someone's nature or character. That which is attributed to someone's nature or character. I want to just let you see just briefly, well, uh, 10, uh, and there's more, but 10 of God's attributes, 10 of God's attributes of his nature, 10 of God's attributes of his character, In other words, you and I, when we're born, when you and I are conceived in the womb and when we're born, when you and I are born, even as the little babies have been born in this church even in the last week, when you and I are born, we're born little sinners. Our nature is sinful. Our nature is fallen. Our nature is depraved. And sinning does not make you a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. It's in your nature to sin. It's in my nature to sin. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in our nature and God must deal with it right at the very root. And so he came in flesh and he died in the person of his son that he would overcome all things. That you and I at his coming again, you and I would be changed to be like him. Listen to this about his attributes, his nature, it's his character. You know, when we talk about someone's character, we get to know them. We say, well, they just can't help themselves. That's who they are. It's their nature. It's their character. It's as though it's built within them. But listen to what some of these are. Listen to the Westminster Shorter Catechism on the definition of God. This is only a couple of lines. Listen to this. God is a spirit. Infinite, eternal, 
unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. In other words, they're saying that's whom he is as according to his nature. That's whom he is as according to his nature. Let's look at these attributes briefly. The first attribute I want to bring to you is God's aseity. God's aseity. A-S-I-E-I-T-Y. A-S-E-I-T-Y. God's aseity. What does it mean? It means God is so independent that he does not need us. Shock horror, brothers and sisters. That's the aseity of God is... Our God is so independent, he does not need you. He doesn't need me. In fact, the aseity of God goes that he is not only self-existent, but that he is self-sufficient within himself. He needs none other. That's why there is one God, and beside thee there is none else. There's one God, and beside him he needs none other to prop him up. Many of the Greek gods in their mythology, they needed the people of Greece and, uh, and those of, of, of who were linked to Greece to pray unto these gods to keep their gods alive. In other words, their gods lost power when people stopped the worship. Their gods lost power when they didn't come to the altar. Their gods lost power when they didn't bring an offering. Their gods lost power when the people didn't get together and bow down before him. That's the idea of the Greek gods. But here, the one true living God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says, I am self-existent, and I am the same. Within himself, his aseity is that he is so independent that he does not need us. Now, you would think to hear many people that if God... Uh, that if we didn't turn up to do something, then we are totally, uh, we are holding God to ransom. Brothers and sisters, God does not need us. But he calls us in order to give us the privilege to work with him. To work with him. He didn't need me. But he fixed his love on us that he would send his son. Secondly, we want to look at the goodness of God. The goodness of God. This is an attribute. It's his nature. It's not that he is good. It's his nature. Pure goodness. Goodness of God means that he alone is God. Or he alone is good, rather. He alone is good. That he alone is the final standard of all goodness. I'll bring your memory to the the gospel of Matthew, whenever the young man comes running to the Lord Jesus, he says, good master, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus didn't say, do this, do that, because they're all good. And many of them are good things as to man's level, humanity's level of goodness. But what he's saying was, master, what do I do that I may ascend to be uh, like I am worthy of heaven? How many religions tell us that we do good works to earn our way to the kingdom of God? Jesus turns to this young man and says, Why callest thou me good? 
There is none good but one, and that is God. Paul tells us that there's none good, no, not one. The psalmist tells us that there's none good, no, not one. And God is the only one. It's his attribute of his goodness. His nature is goodness. And God and God alone has goodness. We may do good things in people's eyes, but when someone dies, brothers and sisters, and they may be the nicest, they may be the most pleasant, the most helpful, they may be the person of, of some sort of religiosity, and people say, but surely they were a good person. Bible says, no, they weren't, for there's none good. None. None good, no, not one. What a difference this is from much of the preaching you'll hear in this 21st century. What a difference it is when it's, it's let's hold up our Bible and proclaim that we are absolutely wonderful. The Bible says outside of Christ, that there is none good and there's none righteous, only he alone. It's his nature. That God alone is good. So the goodness of God is he alone is good and he alone is the final standard of goodness. And you may be good to your neighbor and you may be good to your family and that's great. But that's human goodness. The goodness of God will lead you to repentance because then we see what goodness really is when we look at him. And we wonder, why take all the good ones, Lord? But in a human eyes, they're good. But in God's eyes, they all have come short of the glory of God. All of us have come short of his glory. Thirdly, and briefly, we're moving on quickly, there's the grace of God. In other words, God is grace himself. God is gracious in himself. His nature is grace. I think of how John says of the Lord Jesus that the word was made flesh. That is John 1 and 14 and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Listen, full of grace and truth. And in him was grace for grace, John tells us later on. In other words, here's the one who is full of grace. That grace is in the Father's heart. Grace is bowing down to one. Grace is coming down. Grace is taking the great stoop. And God came down in his grace. And he met you and I at the cross. He met me in a sinful pit. He met me on a broad road to destruction. He met me as a a brand ready for the burning. And he came in his grace. And he alone could make the great stoop. He alone could condescend to lift us up. God in his nature is grace. Fourthly, he's also love. John tells us God is love. Notice, God is love. It's whom he is. He's full of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us so much. And God's love, it was his very nature to reach out to a world that was going to hell in a handbasket. 
It was the love of him that was drawn out for a number whom he had called. His love was called out of his heart. His love was called out of his heart. The word for love would be agape, or agape, some people pronounce it. And it gives the idea of a love that is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. I'll tell you it again. Agape love is like this. It is a love that is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. Let me give you an example. If you are looking at your children, they don't do anything. They need not do somersaults or flip high flips or they need not do anything special. Your love just automatically, it flows from your heart. It's a love called from your deep inner regions. It's a love that's drawn from you. They don't need to pay you something. They don't need to give you anything. It is a love that is just drawn like a magnet. That is the love of the Father. It was this love that sent His Son. And it was this love that drew us to the cross. And it was this love. In other words, it's Him. And it's unspeakable. We can never fathom it. Neither can we understand it fully. But it is wonderful and we're so grateful that He came. Fifthly, mercy. God is merciful in his very nature. When you go home, read uh, Exodus 34, verse 16. And that's the declaration that is made of him being so merciful. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever, the psalmist cries. And whenever you're reading that, understand what he is saying is, Lord, this is your character. This is whom you are. This is your very being. You are merciful. But then the cry comes out, Ah, but what about this great mercy or this great love or this grace? Yet men and women are bound for a lost eternity and for a devil's hell. You see, God displayed and shows his love and his grace and his mercy. For you in this life, in the person of Christ. And he displays it for you and he displays it for me that if we accept it, if we hear his voice and harden not our hearts, and if we are drawn by his spirit, and if we accept his payment in full as my payment and he's our substitute, then we have moved into that realm of love and grace and mercy. The love and grace and mercy of God is all around us and men and women are rejecting him. And God is justified in all his ways for every one of us, if God allowed us, would be lost for all eternity. Understand this heart. Because he is love and grace and mercy does not take away from his wrath and judgment. And why? Sixthly, because God is holy. God is holy. God's holiness is displayed and emphasized in the scriptures. And we think of holiness as well. It's a a, a nice word. It's someone who's stuffy and clean living. Brothers and sisters, the holiness of God is one of the greatest attributes in the word of God. 
It's a magnified attribute. What do I mean? Well, for example, in Isaiah 6 and verse 3, Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up. And these seraphims with six wings are one on each side of him. With two, they're flying. With two wings, they cover their feet. And with two wings, they cover their face in his presence. And one cries unto another. And they're crying as it were day and night, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And, and it keeps going on and on, it's going holy, holy, holy. Then we see again in Revelation 4 and verse 8, John tells us that he had the vision of this, of them gathered around the one who was on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. Now we see the risen, ascended, glorified Christ the Lamb on the throne and they're crying around it, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, Holy, Holy. Listen to what R.C. Sproul says. R.C. Sproul, listen to this. Speaking on God's holiness, he says, Only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. The Bible never says that God is love, love, love. And you go everywhere and you go all manner of churches, and that's in every church, you go to many of them, and you go to these big assemblies that they're getting now, and you go to the MAGA churches, and all you hear, and it's all about love, love, love. God is love, but love is not all that God is. God is holy, holy, holy. And I know people use that for the Trinity, and they say they'll... Father's holy, the Son's holy, and the Spirit is holy. And that's, and that's true. The Father is holy, the Son is holy, and the Spirit is holy. But that's not what this means. Even as R.C. Sproul says, there's nowhere, no other attribute of God is elevated to the third degree. This is a degree where they're emphasizing what God is within himself. They're standing in his presence with two wings covering their faces. Standing in his presence, or flying in his presence with two wings, keeping them afloat. And they're like flickering flames of fire. The word seraph means flame of fire. And these flickering beings with two covering their feet that the Lord would not look upon their ways. Cannot stand in the holy presence of the holy God. And they're crying before the Lord Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. He's holy. It's an elevation of his attribute of his divine nature. He is holy. Why do you think he says, be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. The word holy here in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, holy, 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 is the word kadosh. Kadosh. Kadosh, Kadosh in the Hebrew. They keep crying it. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. It's the same word for the Holy Spirit. The Kadosh of God. The Holy Spirit of God. And they're crying it in His holy presence. With two wings they're flying. With two wings they're covering their feet. That the Lord would not look upon their ways. And with two wings they cover their face. And they're crying Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. 
and now in glory sitting around the Lamb, the man Christ Jesus. The one they sang around on the throne in Isaiah 6. And they're saying, holy, Haggaios. It's in the Greek, Haggaios. Haggaios. In other words, sanctified one, set apart one, he who is above all others and all else, and there is none like him. That's what they're saying. Brothers and sisters, this is the one we will stand before. This is the one who saved us. This is the one who bought us with his most precious blood. He came to hang on a cross for us. And yet we hear Christians and their hyper-grace mentality. But you know what? It's all under grace. Love how you like It's all under grace. Thank God for his grace. But I'll tell you one thing. He is holy. Be ye holy. As I am holy. Be set apart. Let me give you an idea of hagios. I'm going offline here, but we'll come back next week to some of it. The word hagios gives this idea. For example, you're driving through this village of Donaclone. And when you're driving through the village, you can see the houses and you see semi-detached houses and detached houses and ones with gardens and one, and they're all houses. You see, uh, 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 terraced houses here and so on and so on and cottages and whatever. And you're driving through. But when you come into the village, you, you drive past the Methodist down, down the street here and then past ourselves and past the Church of Ireland over the way and the Presbyterian on around the corner. And you know that they're places of worship because they are set apart for that. Set apart. That's the word hagios. They're not a house to live in. They're not a place of partying. They're set apart. For the worship of God. Do you know the, the saint, the redeemed child of God, that's you and I. We are called the Haggaios of God. We're set apart. We are supposed to be different than the world. The attribute of God's holiness. This is a, a, a a degree of holy, holy, holy. In other words, it's, he's, they're elevated up. They're elevated up. He's holy. He's holy. Our God is holy. Our God is holy. That's what they're like. And they're, they're, they're burning in his presence. He's holy. These flickering, uh, created seraphim angel beings at each side, ready to serve him and do his will at his very gesture of his hand or the word of his mouth. Oh, brothers and sisters, you and I have been saved and redeemed and bought with a great price. And you and I have been forgiven much. And you and I have been brought into the family of God and adapted into his family through the the Holy Spirit of God. And if you and I have been that and realized we've been plucked as brands from the burning, how much more should we burn for Christ? How much more should our hearts yearn and cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. How more set apart should we be in this world when our workmates and our families and our friends, do they see us different 
Or is our language the same as theirs? Or are our actions the same as theirs? Do we go to the same places they go? Do we take into our bodies the same things they take? Or do they see something that we are Haggaios? Because the Haggaios of God, the Holy Spirit, He resides in us. We are not only the house of God, we are the body of Christ. Another one, number seven, is His immutability. His immutability. In other words, God, He doesn't blow with the wind. He doesn't blow with the wind. In other words, God never changes. You know, I might be still young compared to some people, but I'm coming 49 in November. So I think of more years behind me than I have ahead of me. The Lord willing, it's not a few, I'll have many. But at the same time, I am, I am not the youngest, neither am I the oldest, but I've had a lot of years behind me now. And at my stage of life, things have changed so much around me. The family I grew up with aren't there anymore. I met, there's one in Scotland, I met. The, the area I grew up in, I drive down it, I hardly know it anymore because it's been knocked down and rebuilt. And a lot of my childhood is gone. Things change, people leave, others happen. And, 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 and then it all, we live in an unstable world. And whenever we're looking at our very government, even recently what's happening on the news, and we're saying, Lord, what is going on? It's so unstable in this world, in this life of mine. Lord, is there anything that's stable enough and unchanging? And he says, son, I am the immutable God. We leave our all in him. We place our all in Christ. We threw ourselves on the rock. Our great foundation. He says, I am the immutable God. He said unto, he said unto Israel, hey, listen to what he says. He calls them Jacob. And he says that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. In other words, you know why you haven't been consumed? Brother, sister, do you know why you sons and daughters of Jacob haven't been consumed? Do you know why you haven't been swallowed up, burned up, or dumped? Do you know why? Not because of who we are, that we deserved anything, or we were of any merit of ourselves, or we were of any good in ourselves. Not at all. God would be justified to turn his back on every one of us forever and send us to be damned for all eternity. No, not at all. Do you know why? He says, I, the Lord, change not. It's because of who he is. It's because of who he is in his nature. It's because of whom he is in his own character. And he says, I don't change. You change. You change your mind. You blow with the wind. You love me one minute and then you don't the next. You're going on with me great and then you're falling away. You're going with one foot with me and then you're fully in one moment and you're away the next. He says, you change. I never change. Old Emory says, I change. He changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie.
Now, if you learn the immutability of our God, if you learn the immutability of our Savior, even when you're feeling at your lowest, and even when you're thinking at your worst, and even when your life is in the most desperate condition it's ever been in, and when all seems to be changing around you and falling apart, you can look at him and say, Lord, I always have you, and you change not. The Lord Jesus says the same yesterday and today and forever. Do you see the elevation of holy, holy, holy in our last? It's the same when we mention Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. It's the exact same only it, it elevates his immutability now. Holy, holy, holy. It's emphasizing, it's emphatic and it's the same with Christ's nature. It is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. This is the way it reads. And we go, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. That's not the way it reads. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today. Notice, and forever. His immutability, his unchangeableness. We are told that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, there's no variableness with our God. You see, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance or they're irrevocable. And when God gives you a gift of salvation, he just doesn't snap it off you because you've been a bad boy or because you've failed him. It's irrevocable. The spiritual gifts of God. God may withdraw his, his, his anointing presence, but he will never withdraw himself from you. Just doesn't take it off you like you lose your driving license. It's irrevocable. See, he's unchanging. And then the... There's no shadow of turning with him. If you have the sun coming in the east, setting, rising in the east and setting in the west, we find that when that happens, uh, that there's a shadow wherever the, the, the sun, the sun may hit the front of your house in the morning and, and as it climbs over, it comes into the back garden maybe in the evening and it's now shadowy at the front where it was once shadowy at the back. The shadow has changed. And the idea here is there is no shadow with God upon you. There's no shadow in him. There's no shady areas. It's like some Christians have, and some people are a bit shady, aren't they? You're wondering what they're looking. You're wondering what their motive is. You're wondering what's coming next. You're wondering, is there a hand behind their back for there's a dagger in it? You're wondering what's going on because there's a shadow. But with God, there's no shadow. You can trust him. You can trust him, brothers and sisters. With everything. With everything we have. We've only a couple of short ones left and we'll close. Number eight is God's incomprehensibility. God's incomprehensibility. Isaiah 40 and verse 28 says, There is no searching of his understanding. 
there is no searching of his understanding. How can we ever comprehend God's character even from what we have heard tonight? And the little bit that we find out through his word and his spirit breathing upon us, it refreshes our soul and it builds us up in our faith and, and we trust him all the more and we rejoice in him and we don't know whether to cry before him with joy or cry before him with repentance. But whatever it is the spirit's leading you to, then do it. Clap your hands and shout for joy if you want. Sing your praises and give them your hallelujahs if that's the way the Lord is speaking to you because we will never fully understand what Christ bore for us at the cross. We'll never fully understand what it took for God to give his son. We will never fully understand all this great salvation entails. I reckon we'll be through it all eternity wondering and wondering and wondering, Lord, Lord, is there more? There's always more in God. Ninthly, there's God's impeccability. It's his character. Notice his nature, his character, his impeccability. Do you know what the word? Let me give you an idea of impeccability. The Lord Jesus Christ is man from very man. He's 100% man. And he's very God of very God. He's 100% God. That's what he is. Two natures. A dual nature of man and God. God of gods and man of man and it's fused together in Christ. And we speak of the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We read the scripture of it and we preach it and, and we talk about him being sinless and spotless and, and undefiled and separate from sinners and so on. And we speak about the Lord Jesus in his purity. And when we talk about it, we see him as the perfect, perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. <clears throat> And when we see him as that, we, and that's what he is. He is perfectly sinless, yet he bore our sin. But that's not his impeccability. Christ's impeccability was he could never sin. Are you telling me when the devil tempted him in the wilderness? That he hasn't all of a sudden been tempted in all points as we are, yet he's without sin. Are you telling me that Christ was never felt the pangs of it because he was God and he couldn't sin, so it was never a challenge? No, 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 no. As to his human nature, as to his human nature, he was tempted in all points as we are. But as God, he could never sin, but God in his Son, God in that man was feeling the pang of what it is for you and I to be tempted off the devil. That he would understand us. The impeccability is that he could never sin. Never. You see... There's some things God can't do. Do you know that? He can do all things. I've prayed that. I think I prayed that today sometime. He can do everything and do all things. Well, here's something he can't do. He's God who cannot lie. He cannot fail. There's things he can't do. He cannot sin. It's not in his nature to sin or lie or to fail. He can't. 
If he does, he's not God. I'm talking about our great Father in heaven. His nature within him. If he lies, he's not God. He's a sinner. If he feels he's not God, he's weak. He can't. But his cannots, his his that which he cannot do are not his weaknesses as they are your weaknesses and my weaknesses, they are his strengths. They're his strengths. So as to his nature, he's impeccable. God cannot be tempted by man. No man can tempt God. Tenthly and lastly, God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty speaks of his omnipotent power and speaks of his providence and his sovereignty sovereignty speaks of his kingship. His omnipotence, his providence, and his kingship. Listen to Isaiah 46 and verse 10. He says, and notice this. And I'd like all those, uh, all, all those big wig Christians out there in the big super churches who are standing and ordering God to do their will because they're little gods, as I put it in brackets, they're little gods upon the earth. They're just sinners saved by grace like the rest of us. Now, notice what it says here. He says, my counsel, this is the Lord, my counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. My counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. In other words, he's saying, who are you to say thus to me? He says, I am the sovereign God. Listen to A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink. He says of God and his sovereignty, listen, I quote him, he is subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. He alone is God. Brothers and sisters, it's time we understood and we got our right place before him. Ephesians 1 and 11 speaks of the Lord and says, The purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own well, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Not of some preacher with a 10,000 seater church who says, live how you like and do what you like. Don't worry about the holiness. It's all under grace. And sure, you can get on the way you fancy. And you know what? Let's order God and tell him what to do. If he was to stand with the seraphim stood in the holiness of God, I wonder how many of these men are standing in a place of prayer where God the Holy Ghost comes and visits because they'll soon be on their knees. Soon be on their knees. It's time we got the reverential fear of God back into the church. He alone is God. So I close. Thank you for your attention. Is it of any wonder that we with our finite abilities, our understanding 
our finite knowledge and strength find it difficult, even impossible to express and explain this realm of fear which the great inexplicable God has shown to us, which he has made known to us and gave to us. It is as our three scriptures, and we haven't touched them yet, well, our three scriptures, this is just the introduction, our three scriptures will come next week. He is unspeakable. He's unspeakable. Lord, I don't know if you see me, and I don't know if you hear me, or I don't know if you can understand, or I don't know if you can work this out, and I don't know if you can change this impossibility, and I don't know if you can save my loved ones. It looks like it's gone on too long, and I don't know about this, and I don't know about that, and I don't, and I'm getting really down about it, and I'm going to have to run away, and I feel like that sometimes, but he says, do you know who I am? Do you understand who I am? Take strength, brother and sister. He's the unspeakable God beyond words and indescribable. Unspeakable words. Unspeakable gift. Unspeakable joy. And God willing, we'll look at it next week in his will for his glory. And everyone say amen.